0: Hi, good afternoon. Welcome to our Thanksgiving week edition of CIO Leadership Live. I'm delighted to be here with Stephen John, who is the CIO of Aramark, and I wanted to welcome all of our viewers from both LinkedIn and Twitter and YouTube, where the show is streaming live to all three venues. During the broadcast, I'll be pausing a few times to remind everyone that you are most welcome to text us or email us in with your questions, and time permitting, I will put them right directly to my CIO guest today. So, Stephen John, uh, let me tell you a little bit about him. He's actually coming to us live right now from Minnetonka, Minnesota, where I hear it's just as nice as weather in the Boston area, around 40 degrees, which is pretty much summertime in Minnesota. Stephen joined Ameripride Services in 2014, serving as its CIO until the acquisition by Philadelphia-based Aramark. Once that was completed, he emerged as the CIO of the newly combined company, which now includes Aramark Uniform Services, Aramark Refreshment Services, and Ameripride Services. As the CIO, Stephen is responsible for the operation and maintenance of the entire technology strategy, all of its systems, information management initiatives, and the digital work. Aramark is a $16 billion global provider of food, facilities, and uniform services to client organizations across multiple industries. Everything from education and healthcare and business to sports, leisure, and correctional institutions. All told, there are 280,000 employees worldwide. Before he came to Ameripride six years ago, Stephen held leadership positions at Workday, the software company, H.B. Fuller, the Society of Information Management, where he was executive director, and he also did some stints in both business and IT at First Health, Cigna, Unisource, and Transora. And then last year in 2018, Stephen was welcomed into our CIO Hall of Fame. He is a prolific industry speaker, a teacher, and a mentor of outstanding talent in the IT world. Welcome. Great to have you here today, Stephen. Good to be here. Thank you, sir. Let's start out. Uh, way above the, uh, I always like to start out talking about disruption in various industries. And the consumer services kind of industry that um, Aramark represents is not quite as disrupted as other industries right now, but it is consolidating. So talk a little bit about the competitive landscape and your view of the disruption that you are seeing, if not now, the stuff that might be coming.
1: Yeah.
2: So, so the, the uh, our industry is, is going through a consolidation. Interestingly enough, on the on the on the, in the uniform business, about half of that business is still mom and pop organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so small local firms. Uh, the other half is made up of uh, you know four or five major players. Yes. Uh, we're currently uh, a number two in that field. Sintas is number one.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but uh, there is a lot of growth potential. Uh, across the industry, uh, whether that be through acquisition or whether that be through organic growth.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and I understand we talked a little bit last week um, about what a positive earnings call uh, just happened with your new CEO, um, uh, Mr. Zilmer. And on that earnings call, he mentioned that one of the many positives coming for Aramark clients was an ability to use the company's proprietary cloud-based platform is that is that one of the I know that there was there's a lot of MA a activity going on, but is that something that Ameripride services was bringing to the party
2: yeah there were there were several reasons why Ameripride was acquired but technology was one of them and and so we, we brought some things to the table uh, well, that is a there's a core uh, route accounting system we brought in some mobile capability, some analytic capability, mm-hmm. big data, et etc
0: Yeah. Well, and it was just as you were telling me the story, I thought how surprising it was because Ameripride Services is about a billion dollars, and here's Aramark that's $16 billion. And yet you emerged as the CIO of the whole shooting match So congratulations well, let's, let's, on let's, that, by the way. Let's be careful. Okay. I'm, I'm
2: not the CIO. I'm only the CIO over the uniform piece, refreshment piece, and and, and the Ameripride portion. Okay. So I'm not over uh, corrections or food uh, there. So I'm I'm over maybe 3 to $4 billion of mm-hmm.
0: the 16. Okay. Well, still, that's a big change in your job, isn't it?
2: It's, 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 it's nice to work with bigger budgets.
0: <laughs> I guess. I imagine, yes. Well, um, when uh, you were saying that what you're really starting to see is one of the differences is how much you're able to leverage your core business with this merger and acquisition activity. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah, so I, I tend to think of of IT systems uh, as, as a strong and stable core uh, and then an intelligent periphery. And so mm-hmm. if you think about that strong core in a, in a merger, you want to get, uh, immediately you want to get some of the periphery uh, in place so you can drive revenue. So that's, you know, get your your CRM in place. Mm-hmm. Your salespeople are all on one system, you're still driving sales, you're, you're merging that capability and strength in your sales force. So that's kind of one of the first things. And then you start working on that that core. So you get your financials in place. You get your HCM, human capital management, in place. And and then you start working on marketing and other pieces. In parallel with that, you're working on that intelligent periphery, which is you're building up that mobile capability. You're building Mm -hmm. out those touch points closer to the customer as opposed to the back office. Mm -hmm. But what happens in in a merger is you do kind of become more internally focused for a period of time as you're merging those systems. And then, as those become that stable platform that you can use as a fulcrum to then then leverage that that increased size and, and market share mm-hmm. uh, to to develop that in, that intelligent periphery and get close to your customer and grow more growth.
0: Yes, yeah. Well, it, it's it's always interesting to watch large mergers and acquisitions because there's a, there is so much information and analysis about how many of them don't do so well over the years and there's certainly by this point has to be a certain science around how to make it go well, um, well and it, it, paying attention I, I, to the foundation. Kind of
1: mm-hmm.
2: I, you know, there's there's the old IT saying soft is hard and hard is easy. Yeah. So the technology piece of it is actually the easiest piece of any merger. That's the nice. soft stuff, mm-hmm. culture, people, processes, politics, that's where it's tough and and why this has gone so well, our, our particular merge is the soft stuff worked. The cultures matched. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, uh, you know, some of our competition have, have done acquisitions, but it was more where they were acquiring customer base and really didn't care less about the technology that existed or if there were processes that were different than theirs. Mm-hmm. They weren't looking for best of breed. They were just looking to acquire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Airmark approached it very much in a what did Ameripride do better than we do, uh, mm-hmm. and how can we make sure we leverage that? Mm-hmm. And so they really uh, got their their money's worth. Yeah, they they really dug in and found out how that acquisition can really be leveraged to their benefit.
1: Mm-hmm. Not
2: enough companies do it that way. So they did the soft stuff, which is really the hard stuff first, and then that made the the the, the other parts even easier.
0: Yeah. Well, that is such a great point because it's one thing that you often don't see. It's like probably 10 years ago, mergers and acquisitions were happening without anyone on the business side even checking in with IT until all the paperwork was signed. Oh, yeah. But it's so different today. I think that really smart companies are well aware of what the kind of changes you're going to need in not just foundational technologies, but in the way the cultures work together
2: absolutely and, and and you're right. usually you know mergers by nature are secretive
0: mm-hmm.
2: and and it's it's a small group that's aware of it. Uh, but what we're, we're what I'm seeing more and more is IT is becoming part of that small group. in the past, they may have been one of the last to find out about it and then we're mm-hmm. scrambling uh, to uh, to make things work. But, uh, but people have gotten a lot smarter about it and realize that's one of the core things yeah. Uh, to make it successful.
0: Well, and I, I thought too that it was so. It was encouraging, and even if it's still somewhat unusual for the much larger company that's acquiring the smaller one to try and you know basically to say, "What have you got going on that you're doing better than we are?" Well, I think it says something very positive about
2: the culture in that they're mm-hmm. they're teachable, right? So you could say <laughs> humble is a, is a, is is another word for teachable, in my opinion. Yeah. But they're, they're teachable. They, they didn't have the arrogance that they're the best. They realized that they can be better.
0: That's great. That's great. Well, let's, um, let's take this to the customer level and talk about maybe not the customers right today and what they're demanding, but what you're seeing with the changing expectations of how they work with Aramark and, and the different divisions.
2: Absolutely. I, you know, I, I talk about, uh, you know, I, I teach a class for IT executives in New York. And one of the things we always talk about are, are one of the key tenets of an IT leader's job is to have foresight and ambition on behalf of technology, mm-hmm. foresight and ambition on behalf of the organization, and foresight and ambition on behalf of the customer mm-hmm. And our job is really to see where those three intersect. And so as we think about the customer in that foresight and ambition kind of an idea, you know customers want the same level of Technology in their business relationships that they have in their homes, mm-hmm. they want to be able to use voice-activated. So, if a restaurant uh, needs more uh, more linen, or needs a chef coat, or two or three, or it's Mother's Day and they forgot to order, you know, uh, uh, more napkins and bar towels and mm-hmm. tablecloths, uh, that they can turn to an Alexa-type of device and say, "Hey." Contact Aramark and let them know that we need a rush order this week of of, uh, X number of tablecloths, uh, two new chef coats, and X number of napkins and and bar towels, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Or that we need a visit to make sure our mats are in place at our front door, that the the bathroom products are all up to speed, that the the first aid kit is is filled and, and
0: taken care of. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you mention Alexa. I know that one of the things we talked about was, you know, trips you've taken to MIT and, and seen how people are interfacing with technology. And our very first question from our our faithful audience out there is asking about the use of robotics. I know that robotics process automation is something we had on our list of subjects to talk about. And this exact question is what protocol is being used to ensure the use of robotics is successful? <laughs> That's getting pretty well, specific, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: I'm not quite at the level of the MIT guys who are looking how to, you know, uh, give voice commands to, to robots on another planet. Uh, <laughs> but we are looking at our warehouses, our distribution centers, uh, and and uh, and looking at how we can leverage robotics, uh, uh, not only to drive efficiency uh, from a procurement standpoint, but to drive efficiency from a space standpoint and, and a resource standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um you know, from a protocol standpoint, that's where we turn to trusted partners. So mm-hmm. so you know, we we have not done a lot in robotics, and we're we're kind of new in that area. So we will be turning to people that have knowledge that we don't. And right. we'll be trusting them mm-hmm. uh, to, to guide us down that path.
1: Well, so uh, mm-hmm.
2: so we haven't started that project yet. So I haven't selected a specific protocol to make sure that we're, we're going to do it correctly. But we will engage the right, you know, uh, system integration partner, uh, robotics partner to help us.
0: Excellent, do that. excellent, very good answer. Okay, let's talk a little bit, since we've we've already taken a dive into emerging technologies, and, and uh, let's talk about the top business and tech initiatives that you have that you're lining up, not just now, but in the, in the coming year or two. I know data integration is, of course, very huge in your world right now. Let's start there. Well, you know, uh,
2: uh, I'll, I'll go back to Ameripride and then fold that into Airmark. On, okay. On the, on the side of every... Uh, Ameripride truck, uh, was the saying, people you can count on. Uh, when we started our our uh, data foundation project, uh, we used that same line. We just used data you can count on. Mm-hmm. Because too often, uh, companies uh, only think in terms of data in front of the curtain. And so, you know, they get the, the, the data visualization tool uh, that creates pretty pictures. Mm-hmm and they think that they're getting accurate, correct, uh, and timely information. But if they haven't done the work behind the curtain, which is the hard piece of the work, uh, the complex piece of the work, the the, the piece of the work that takes not just IT, but the business very engaged in driving definitions and structures, et cetera, uh, then then that data is, in my opinion, marginal use. And so it's it's that hard work of, of the behind the curtain and then leveraging uh, the right visualization tools in the right way.
1: Mm -hmm. And then
2: to make it really successful, you've got to make sure you've got the right business processes. Because data, data is data. How do you turn it into knowledge? How do you turn it into into ways that that drives people to think differently? How do you drive it in ways that actually gets peer-to-peer mentoring going on? So for example, we, we uh, were driving to where we had 5,000 reports, and we wanted to get 20 dashboards that we lived in the lead by. Mm-hmm. And so part of the processes that we kicked off were having all of our general managers and our plants uh, get on a weekly phone call, and they would mm-hmm. review the dashboard. And instead of somebody kind of dictating what they do, we created a culture where, based on this data, they were peer-to-peer coaching each other hey, when I was in the red in that area, here are three or four things I did that drove that up. So we had people across you know, North America helping each other be better. And in bef- before the, that data and that process around that data and that, that ability to visualize it, these people acted in silos. They worked through their Excel spreadsheets mm-hmm. and then directly with corporate. And they didn't have that peer-to-peer where the real knowledge is
1: yes. uh, to leverage. So data is only
2: as successful as the business processes, in which it is leveraged.
0: Well, and, and to put a business process in um, a discussion, kind of formant that way, it helps people feel appreciated, and they get to kind of show off their knowledge a little bit. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's it's, priceless. It's, it's a win, <laughs> win, 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 all the
2: way around.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's funny. The more we talk about the merger and acquisition, the more questions we get around it. Um, okay. One of the questions is, what were the biggest IT issues you faced with the merger beyond the cultural issues, which have gone so well? Um, I get maybe we're making it sound too easy and smooth. Because no nobody believes that entirely. So, what were some of the uh, the the big issues you stumbled into?
2: Yeah. So, so um, it, it it gets down to some of the, the, the basics. So, you know, at one level, you might be choosing between systems, an Oracle mm-hmm. CRM versus a Salesforce CRM. Yeah. In other instances, it's it's a uh, you know uh, how things are structured in your Oracle Financials, since both companies are Oracle Financials. Mm-hmm. But how are they structured, and what are the processes? Uh.
1: Um,
2: we have uh, our our infrastructure is, is actually outsourced to to corporate shared services, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're going through transformation at the same time. And so sometimes it's just kind of managing all these different expectations. Um, and in some areas where there isn't a high level of maturity in other areas where there's a great level of maturity, uh, I, I may not be giving a great coherent answer, but, but basically it's, it's a, a system by system approach. And I tend to start in that, as we talked about earlier, start at that, that core and work our way out. Yes. Because the, the, the external pieces can remain independent, it's those, those core ones. So we just kicked off our HCM. uh, Testing uh, uh, last week.
0: That's Uh, your human capital. Human capital management. That's your human capital management. Human capital management. Yep. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And uh, and what we talked about was this is the first system that will have everybody on. So CRM, that's the salespeople. Financials, that's accounting and and, and others. Mm -hmm. But but the human capital management is the first global system that ties everybody onto a single platform. We're actually very excited about that. It's kind of the that kind of helps with the rebranding, it helps with the culture shift. Yes. It helps everybody kind of come from a single place mm-hmm. and be in a single place.
0: Great, great. Well, that was an excellent answer. Thank you so much. We have another question uh, that I think maybe will be easier, and we can draw on your extensive experience, maybe not just with this particular M&A that you're living through, but some of the other places you've been. Uh, The general question is, what are the top three red flags you look for in an M&A process? What kind of the the good, the bad, and the ugly that you watch for when an M&A is ongoing?
2: Yeah, it, it, it's really intense. So, so what's the business intent? So uh, we mentioned this earlier. You know, if it's if it's just to acquire a customer base,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, then it's pretty simple. And and you know nobody nobody at the smaller acquisition. Well, I guess that's not true. Smaller companies can acquire mm-hmm. bigger companies, but at, at the at the acquiree, uh they they then have a clear path, and it's not going to be with the ongoing company. Mm. In, in in a merger that's really looking to leverage everybody. So the first red flag is, is what type it is. And that's not necessarily a red flag or a yellow flag or a green flag. It's, that's just reality. What mm-hmm. type of merger is this? Um, and then you would start looking at what's the complexity of it. Is it, is it a global? So we have multiple countries and regions involved. Um, uh, you know, and, and if people don't have a plan around that, mm-hmm. so we're going to roll out U.S. first, or we're going to roll out Europe first, or where are we going to start merging things first? If they haven't got a plan for that, that's a red flag. Yeah. If they don't think through the change management, that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. If they're overly dependent on consultants, that's a red flag.
0: Ah. Okay.
2: Consultants if, may not like to hear that, but yeah. but sometimes you go into these mergers and acquisitions, and they're really being run. Uh, by a consulting group.
0: Yes. And yes. unless
2: you've got the business buy in, I guarantee the white blood cells will come out and the body will reject it <laughs> and it will be a very difficult process.
0: That actually, that's, I think that's a very accurate and a really good um, assessment of it because it's just, it's so easy. Not that the consultant's life is easy. They do do a lot of travel, but it's easy to, I've heard it called seagull management, where you fly in and you know what seagulls do and then you fly back out again. So you're not left really dealing with the human and the cultural issues. Well, and, and they don't understand them
2: to begin with ah. because that's, that's yeah. Okay. Uh, no. I don't want to paint everybody with, with a broad brushstroke, but that, that's generally been my, my experience.
0: Okay, okay. And I've, I've heard that same story pretty much from a lot of other CIOs. So I think it's always good to be <laughs> there reality. There must be some truth in it. There must be some. We, we, uh, we like to reality check. And I want to just uh, pause for a moment to uh, remember to welcome any of our audience who is joining us for this live interview. Uh, A little bit late, I am talking here with Stephen John, who is the CIO of Aramark. And we've been getting a lot of great questions from the audience. I'm starting to think I may not get to any of my own questions. So please go ahead and and email us or text us in your questions. Uh, In fact, speaking of which, we were talking about human capital management systems, uh, Stephen. And one of the questions was, how are you managing the internal knowledge? How do you skill to harmonize all the talent capabilities? I know this is something very near and dear to your heart.
2: Yeah, so so I'll I'll go back to uh, to HB4. Mm-hmm. So so when we we implemented Workday there, we were Workday's 33rd customer, first to go global, mm-hmm. and so so people really didn't understand uh, the capabilities that a multi-tenant uh, HR system. Uh, could bring mm-hmm. and and so you know they just asked us to implement it in the way that had always been implemented they'd always done their work, which we could do. but when you're implementing a system, it is an opportunity to redo how you do things and uh, from a from a business process
1: standpoint
2: mm-hmm. and and they they did it the way they'd always done it and, and it took them a while to realize the software liberated them from a lot of the things they normally did. Uh. And so they were able to head in a, in a different direction. Um, and and that's, that's one thing that, that people really don't think about is that software liberates you. They tend to see it as, as a necessary that, evil. Is it
0: constricting you? I think, you have, I think yeah. technology is now okay. reached a
2: point where it's a liberator. Uh, wow. and, uh, and some of that comes at some sacrifice. I, I, think, I think a lot of, of uh, IT's bane over the years. Mm-hmm. Has been. We've had too much freedom. We have had uh, mm. we've had uh, on-site uh, systems that we could customize, uh, and therefore we did.
0: And so we did. And yes. that customization mm-hmm. then
2: led to long and complex and problematic and expensive implementations.
0: And a, and a server under everybody's desk.
2: And a, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, and all site types of complexities. And it, it it led to an expensive cycle of, of uh, refreshing, and mm-hmm. sometimes because of that expense it got delayed, which then led to a bigger problem further downstream. What, what I believe cloud and especially multi-tenant are bringing is they really liberate us from that and we're now moving to a cycle where we're, we're having to learn at a different pace. We, we used to update every four years. We now update every four months. Mm-hmm. And so how do we leverage the value in that coming out of that world? It's more and more part of our job. Is, is that, that life cycle of products is very different.
0: Yes. Well, I wonder, too, if it's it's something to do with the just kind of the mental map of IT leaders catching up with this newer way of thinking about it. Uh, so many of you have had the experience of living through some agonizing ERP upgrade, and that's one of the ones where the software oh, yeah. comes in, puts a straight jacket around your business, and IT's response in the past was like, well, let's just customize our way out of this.
2: <laughs> well, and, and, and I, I think the other thing is, is the Mm C-level, at this point in time, every person at the C-level has been through, Ah. uh, in their years coming up through the ranks, a problematic ERP implementation or problematic uh, IT
1: implementation system. Mm -hmm.
2: And so, you know, uh, I had a conversation uh, with a CEO, not not at Airmark, but before that, uh, where I basically, you know, said, hey, here's what we need to do with this this core system. And he said, hey, uh, if you can guarantee uh, that will go as well as as these, uh, mm-hmm. these uh, cloud systems you put in, I'll I'll do it. And I'll say, well, there isn't, there isn't a cloud solution for this particular system yet. His response was, then I'm going to push it out past my personal planning horizon. Oh. So he would rather do without or even run a higher level of risk of a system having a problem than having to go through a uh-huh. historical, in his, his perception, ERP implementation.
0: And it wasn't so much that he was in love with a cloud implementation. He just was trying to avoid oh, yeah. a nightmare from his past. <laughs> Interesting. Well, Interesting.
2: Yeah. Well, the cloud the cloud takes away some of our freedom, but mm-hmm. it gives us more stability. Uh, and it, in my opinion, doesn't take take away that much freedom. Yep. It just takes away the freedom with which we hurt ourselves.
0: Now, ultimately, as the CIO of Aramark, where are you heading in terms of percentage you'd like to see, in cloud-based systems versus percentage that you're going to keep in-house and on-premise.
2: Mm-hmm. So, so for the portions I'm over, uniform mm-hmm. uh, and, and refreshments, my, my bi- I have a bias for the cloud. Mm-hmm. So if there's a cloud option, we we're going to explore it. However, uh, it comes back to risk and maturity. So there's kind of a pace and risk idea here. And, and the idea is kind of things in that intelligent periphery, they're easy. They should go to the cloud, CRM, HCM, et cetera.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: When you get to financials and, and the supply chain and some of those systems where where there isn't as as big a penetration uh, of cloud systems out there yet or maturity, and where there's a higher level of risk, I'm taking a slower approach on those. Or the bar is higher for those than for some of the periphery applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in one of our in the refreshments area, for example, we are. Uh, looking at at uh, accounts receivable in the cloud. We are we're actually implementing it right now, and so we'll test that out. And and based on that, we'll move to others.
1: Mm-hmm. But we currently
2: have a beachhead with with CRM, HCM, other systems in the cloud. Mm-hmm. And as the others mature, uh, more uh, and we'll we'll move to those. But in my opinion. Uh, the future of IT is a much smaller, much more business-focused, much more innovation-focused IT department,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and and uh, and the, a lot of things going to the cloud liberates us to do
0: that. Yes, well, and this is also a, it, it, the moment in our interview when I, I like to ask about how you have IT currently organized or structured to deliver the most business value, and um, are you making changes and or reorganizing around that? And when we talked about this earlier. You surprised me with your answer, so go ahead yeah. and hold forth on that.
2: Yeah, I, too often the first things a CIO does to, to put their fingerprints on an organization their stamp. is, is yep. to do a reorganization. Mm-hmm. And, and I, think that, I think that actually that should be about the last thing a CIO does. Mm-hmm. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to look at you know, aligning with the vision, aligning with the principles of the organization, aligning with the strategy and direction. Then you're going to look at what are the processes that support those. What's the information that supports those processes? What are the systems that support those, those, that information, those processes? And then actually, what are the applications? And then when you get all the way down through that, then what structure do I need from a human standpoint to support all of those things? If you haven't got those ones above figured out, then you're not going to have the right organization. Mm-hmm. So I think people start at the bottom when they should start at the top.
0: Okay. Does that makes sense? It does make sense. And I was so surprised by your answer when we talked about this earlier that I said, well, how did you come to that belief? And I think your your response was painful experience. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, it, it, hopefully you learn in life. And, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think we also talked about one of my early mentors uh, was Pat Wallington. Yes. At, at Kodak and Xerox. Mm-hmm. And, and she said one of the things that I think is one of the most profound pieces of wisdom I've ever heard said so there are two things you need to learn in life. You need to learn to learn, and you need to learn to change. Uh, and too often, we we go in with the same playbook and think it's going to work everywhere we go. Yes. Uh, but if we aren't uh, reflective, and if we don't every once in a while go out in the woods and sit on a rock and think, mm-hmm. uh, and and then make change based on, on that reflection, uh, we're going to do things and make the same mistakes over and over again.
0: Yeah, well, and I I feel compelled to point out that Pat Wallington was in the very first original CIO Hall of Fame class uh, that CIO Magazine had in 1997, and I believe your dad is also yes. a member of the because you are a second generation Hall of Famer, and um, I am. Yeah, I am.
2: And and so far, mm-hmm. so the only the only second generation one. So so my dad. Uh, you know he's retired, and, and and too often when parents retire, they start talking about their will and things like that. I, <laughs> I, know, I said to Dad, there, 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 there are only three things I want uh, in the will. I want I want your statue of uh, replica of uh, the Thinker.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Rodin's Thinker. Yes. Uh, I want Grandpa's saddle, and I want your uh, uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, award. Oh. So I can I have the bookends. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and didn't he, your dad gave you some pretty good career advice at a point when you were thinking about going into law?
2: Yes, yes. So I, I started my career at Cigna
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, in Philadelphia. And uh, and it, it's kind of funny. Uh, Aramark sits at 2400 Market Street. And I started my career at 1601 Market Street at Cigna. Oh. so it's, it's funny how life brings, uh, brings things inside Bring,
0: brings you in a circle yeah
2: yeah but I was a paralegal at, at, at Cigna. I was mm-hmm. going to be a lawyer and my dad who rarely gives kind of direct advice he started sending me notes you know mm-hmm. and I apologize to, to any lawyers that are listening <laughs> but uh, he said you know the average lawyer makes X and that's not very much and there are X number of lawyers in the world and that's too many and and none of that affected me uh, but then he shared a, a an idea that changed the course of my career. He said, think about the legal profession. It focuses on two things. It's always looking backward, uh, because everything's based on precedent. Mm-hmm. And all of its relationships are adversarial. Whereas in IT, we're always looking forward. And all of our relationships are collaborative. Now, that may not always be true, but it's, it's the as- aspiration. At yes, at least we're trying and, to and- get
0: there. Mm-hmm.
2: And that that piece of advice shifted my my career, and so I, I went into IT at Cigna
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: instead of. Following the legal profession,
0: yeah. Well, and I that was that was pretty wonderful advice. That's why I wanted to I wanted you to bring it up again because I really yeah. thought it was worth quoting. And and please do give your dad our best. We still think I about will. him here.
2: I um, will. I'll be talking to him over the holidays.
0: Excellent. Well, I hope he's one of the people watching us live right now. <laughs> did you tell him? Did you tell him you were going well, to be on today?
2: Well, he he is a he is a a technology leader. Who doesn't always embrace technology. So uh, <laughs> I'll probably have to pull it up for him on the on the computer next time I'm there.
0: Well, that's okay. We certainly, we make these recordings available on CIO.com. By the end of today, it will be posted in our CIO Leadership Live collection. Uh, And this is actually a good moment for me to pause. And if you're joining us late in our program, it's okay. We record it and it will be available through IDG's YouTube channel, which is IDG Tech Talk, also on CIO.com. And of course, you can watch it on LinkedIn. And I am talking right now with Stephen John, who is the CIO at Aramark. And uh, let me get back. I've been neglecting our audience questions, and there's quite a few of them. Um, I thought this was a really interesting one. It was, how do you approach communicating with CEOs and chief operating officers in, in a company or in the company to distill a strategy that everyone can get on board with? What is your, you know, you were, you were the smaller company being acquired by the much bigger one, and you are now in those relationships with people that were Aramark first and then got to learn the culture of Ameripride. So what has been your approach in communicating?
2: So it, it, I'll, I'll start with a basic principle of life, and then that basic principle of life is the quality of our relationships is directly proportional to the quality of our lives. or The quality of our lives is directly proportional to the quality of our relationships. Mm-hmm. And converted that. So, so you invest in making a relationship. So you you uh, you know you you, you you get to know people. Uh, and and the other thing you do, um, and and in a lot of CIO, a lot of CIO gatherings, we tend to complain about how we're not appreciated or we don't mm-hmm. report to the right person.
1: Mm-hmm. And and I don't have a
2: lot of patience for that because I think you earn your seat at the table. Yeah, it's not a given okay, it's not fair that it's just a given for the CFO or or chief operating officer or others, but, but we're still a young profession.
0: I was thinking I that think same thing. I think we are thing. still earning yeah. our seat at the table. CFOs have been, that the position was established after the Great Depression. And I think chief operating officers have been around as long as there have been supply chains. So yeah, Well, yeah. I think CFOs have been around ever since
2: there was an abacus. So, you know, <laughs> they, they've been around yeah. forever. So, so yeah, but, but we're still a young profession. Yeah. And we're still building that trust in those relationships. Mm-hmm. And at some point, that 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 will be a given. Uh, but uh, but we're still still in the young stages.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, good. Well, in the next session, next section of questions, I hope to get to if the audience doesn't just totally take over you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about emerging tech trends. We talked a little bit about robotics, but I've got a question uh, from the audience about um, blockchain and whether you see um, whether you see places in the supply chain for Aramark where blockchain is going to be one of those technologies under consideration?
2: I'll be honest, uh, that hasn't taken up a lot of my
0: time. So you don't see a use yeah. case that's obvious yet? Yeah,
2: I, you know, I, there, there are technologies you choose to be a trailblazer and one where you choose to be a follower, mm-hmm. that's one where I've chosen to be a follower. Mm-hmm. I'm just not investing a lot of time there. Uh, I'm not seeing a lot of ways where that's going to change my world or how it operates right now. Um, and so I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, that's yep. just low on my priority
0: list. Well, and I have gotten largely that same answer from CIOs across many different industries, um, especially in finance. For the last two or three years, I kept trying to find CIOs who could come and be on stage at our at my CIO Perspectives uh, events, or even at our CIO One Hundred. And it, there was a lot of stuff going on in the proof of concept, and there was you know in the the kind of the playground <laughs> for the innovation groups. Um, but there there haven't been a ton of them. Um, one CIO I know who is very much uh, into blockchain is the CIO at Bumblebee Foods out in San Diego, Tony Costa. And he has found a way to use blockchain from the moment um, Bumblebee is pulling a tuna out of the Indian Ocean all the way to the suppliers that, that are sending frozen fish to restaurants all over the country. They've got the entire chain, it's all uh, in blockchain. And it, he's actually uh, been writing about it and been interviewed on it. Uh, but right now, he's one of those outstanding cases. I don't find a ton of them.
2: Yeah, I think there's going to be some benefits for that on the food side. Yes. Uh, where you're oh, going to track would it sense. Uh, yes. you know, from a safety perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but uh, you know, in, in my particular areas uh, of Aramark, uh, I'm not seeing a, a value proposition there yet. Okay.
0: And how about one of the things you mentioned when we talked about um, merging technologies and trends was you've asked yourself, how should we leverage the Uberness of the world today? What did you mean by that? <laughs>
2: well, we have one of the largest fleets. We're a route-based business, both mm-hmm. on the refreshment side and on the uniform side. We have one of the largest fleets in the in the country, and so so you know we, we, we think about that. Uh, you know, is is there a uh, is there a value in leveraging that capability, or is there a value in, 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 in creating or investing in that type of capability? Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that's not for our routes because you know we 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 we, we they you know they're drop off they're pick up. Um, and and you know this is this is dirty laundry. This is maybe biohazard kinds of things. So you mm-hmm. know, we we have certain protocols that you know, an Uber driver may not have. Uh, but we sometimes have rush orders and things like that. Maybe we can leverage uh, that capability for kind of the one-offs and then explore it some more based on that emerging relationship.
0: Okay, fair enough. Another thing that we talked about was. Um, the, uh, and this is on the uniform side, and looking at some of the interesting examples that could come up in the future about uh, wearable technology.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. so so we're we're having interesting conversations around wearable technology. we We view uh, the people that wear our uniforms, you know that that work in in restaurants or fast food or or you know uh, industrial uh, locations or at oil fields. We, we don't, we view them as athletes. And so when Mm -hmm. we design and manufacture, uh, our uniforms, they are, they are built from an athletic standpoint. (laughs) Uh, we want them to flex. We want them to, you know, handle perspiration. We want them to be able to, you know, stand up to weather and, and, uh, chemicals and other things yeah and, and so we still uh, look
0: very professional because they're delivering very, your but services as you start thinking about
2: how to embed technology in from a safety standpoint where you can mm-hmm. see a, a raised heart rate uh or mm-hmm. you could you could uh find somebody's location yeah uh you know in some mm-hmm. industries where safety is a major concern uh, that could could uh, play a big role okay. so we are we are looking at heading down that that direction
1: that's excellent. So that uh,
2: right. is some is an area that that is changing in our business. It's not just putting somebody in a uniform; it's putting them in something that that uh, that helps them in their work.
0: Okay, good, good. And since we were thinking about that as well, there was a question about managing risk process and what advice you might have for improving. Um, the communication processes between business management and IT around risk process management?
2: Well, there there, there are a couple of different types of risk. You've got kind of the CISO arena where it's really Mm -hmm. about security and managing risk there. Mm -hmm. And in my arena, I tend to, you know, there, when we start a project, I, I talk about three things, you know, where's the direction we're going? Let's get clear on that. What are we trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. The second thing we talk about is pace uh, versus risk. You know, how what is the speed of this versus the risk we're willing to take? So sometimes if you move too fast, you can take take greater risk. If you move more slow and, and purposefully and intentionally, you can manage risk better. And then the last thing is always, how is this going to operate over time? It's too often in IT we build things with no clue that that's going to, you know, require a headcount increase or decrease or... Uh. Or, or X in, in maintenance, etc. And so, uh, so we build risk into the process. And so, as we're talking with the business at that initial onset, we're just getting clear about direction. Mm-hmm. We get clear about direction. The second thing we talk about is risk. What risk are we willing to take as we implement this project? Yes. Um, and that can come from the, the pace of the project. That can also come from uh, you know, we're not going to implement this module, therefore, that could have this impact on this small, small percentage uh, of accounts, but we're willing to take that risk to get the 90% out there earlier. Mm-hmm. So those are the conversations we, we have. And then how are we going to implement it at the end to mitigate risk as well? How is this going to work uh, so that, that we don't have risk as this operates over time?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it comes across very clearly whenever whenever we talk how how deep in your DNA the uh, business process is about thinking about business process first and that actually uh, leads into my next question about your strategy around encouraging and finding innovation and once again you surprised me because you said innovation actually doesn't come from IT it comes from the business. Expound on that a little bit.
2: So uh, (laughs) if, if you think about IT well First of all, I believe that 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 IT is a plank in, in each of the business's strategy mm-hmm. as opposed to a strategy on its own. Okay. Um, so that's that's number one. But second, if you think about the process. So, so things start with innovation. And to be honest, a lot of that innovation starts in the business. That may be in a sales spreadsheet or somebody's doing something, you know, trying out a new way of doing things, or somebody has an idea. Um, and too often, IT and the business are separated in their innovation processes, mm. um, and then somehow they come together. and Maybe it ends up, you know, then it ends up being a differentiating capability. Over time, it becomes standard and commodity, and then it becomes outsourced or cloud or whatever. What what I strive for is IT facilitated innovation, and so that comes from a whole set of things. That comes from trust mm-hmm. and relationships with the business, uh, where they want to bring you in. And, it, and 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 uh, and so so it's, it really becomes a, a trusted partner. Yes. And so so if I'm out just creating things, uh, by the time I bring them back in, if it doesn't have the business fingerprints on it, as I mentioned earlier, those mm-hmm. white blood cells will come out and the body will reject it, <laughs> whether it's the best thing in the world or not. Mm-hmm. If they weren't part of it, and they're not attached to it, it's it's going to struggle a lot more than it should, or it's going to be just rejected out of hand.
0: Okay. So innovation.
2: Um, begins in the business. But but again, going back to that foresight and ambition idea, I have foresight and ambition on behalf of technology, and I am looking for where that can impact the business. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, it, even if it's mine, I try not to take credit for it. Give the idea to the business, let the business take credit for it, then they will mm-hmm. have skin in the game and, and their ego will be intact and they will be more likely to move
0: forward with it. Yeah. Well, and
2: they ID will. IT needs to. Needs to Thrive
0: in humility. <laughs> that's I'm not sure about that slogan, but that's a, that seems to be the way you have practiced your trade as an as an IT leader. Um, I love that. Thrive in humility, because what that does doesn't it on the business side is it develops trust. I mean, there's a feeling from the business that well, you know, this maybe this idea started from IT, but they've really got our back. Mm.
1: Yeah,
2: and it, it does come to those relationships, and, and yeah. if you don't about credit, you know. For the next board presentation, you're saying IT did this, and IT did that. Mm-hmm. That's that's not a good
0: thing. Everybody's eyes will be glazing over, right? At that well, point. Yeah. What you want is the mm-hmm. business
2: to brag about.
0: You. Yes.
2: That's that's where the credibility is.
0: That's the ultimate. Well, um, we had a great moment when uh, we were chatting about your leadership class, the one that you've taught. Uh, you still teach this, right? For the yes. Society of Information Management for SIM. Um, yep. And you you tell Tell our audience about the exercise you do around trust.
2: Uh, yes, mm. and so so basically everybody gets a three by five card,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and on one side you write down five people you trust, and uh, and and then and then when that's done, you kind of ask, you know, what are some commonalities? Usually, blood relations. And then I always ask the question: Are there any salespeople uh, on your list? And there's never anybody that has a salesperson on their list. But <laughs> but, but uh, and then I have them flip it over. Yep. And they write down five people or institutions or things that have lost their trust and so that could be mm. a, a person it could be you know, you, you know a spouse it could be uh, it could be, uh, I don't trust the IRS or I don't trust my car to start in the morning yeah um, and then the following question is how do they gain that back but the, the real story you're telling is trust is a commodity mm. and if you waste it uh, you're not going to have as much you know it's, it's coins in the bank mm-hmm but the other thing to, to, to kind of drive into people is is, who would you be on the list of the five more? And if we just did it in a business context, would you be on the short list of your business partners, mm-hmm. of people they trust? Or would you be on the flip side? If you're on the flip side, how do you gain that trust back?
0: Yes, and it's a whole lot harder to gain it back, isn't it?
2: it it's extremely difficult. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, If, let, if, if possible. Yeah. In some cases, it's not possible. Not even, yeah. Well, uh let's wrap up with a couple of thoughts from you. I know the time goes by so quick, doesn't it? Yes. Um I, I often get on these calls, and when we're we're talking ahead of time, CIOs are, CIOs are like, "What are we going to talk about for forty-five minutes or even longer?" Um, and I say it flies by. But my last question is usually about leadership lessons you've learned, and you have a practice that you do every evening where you write down four things, and oh, you yeah. actually write them down on real paper with a pen, which I laud you for that with my long background in daily newspapers and print magazines. Um, so the it is a different feeling, definitely. What is it you consider every evening, and how did you come to this practice?
2: Uh, you know, I, I do a lot of reading, and, and I, I, uh, I, I tend to create a new system for doing to-do list, and that at least once a year. So so I'm always trying to refine that. And, and one of the things I've found that works really well for me is if each night I sit down and, and write on a piece of paper four things. And the first I just refer to as highlight. What is the one thing that if I get done tomorrow, I'm going to feel like I had a successful day? Mm-hmm. The second thing I call foresight. What is the one thing I need to do tomorrow to make sure I'm paying attention to the future? Uh, the, the third thing is, what's the pain point? What might be the thing I'm procrastinating or that that you know I don't want to do but just has to be done? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then the, 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 fourth one is, is I just call it fun time. What am I going to do? Whether that's with my team or, or, uh, you know, some reading or something I want to do that's just for me, mm-hmm.
1: uh,
2: or, or that's going to be enjoyable. And, and I make sure I do those four things. Now I've got 50 other things or a hundred other things on the list that I'll probably get to you too. But at the, at the end of the day, I hit those four
0: things. It's a good day. It's been a pretty good day. Well, all I can do is sit here and hope that this, interview on Leadership Live that you counted as one of your fun things that you did today. It was a fun thing, (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today, Stephen. It was wonderful getting all of your perspective, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, we will have this, uh, you'll be able to find this interview and download your very own copy from CIO.com. We are also uh, running around on YouTube with IDG Tech Talk. We have our whole collection of Leadership Lives there as well. And if you joined us late, please do watch the full episode later today on any of those channels, or you can listen to an audio podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We are all over the place. I hope you will join us for our next episode, which will be streamed live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, as today was, and that one will be on Thursday, December 12th at 11 a.m. Eastern, when I'll be joined by Greg Simpson, who is the CIO at Synchrony Financial. Thank you so much for being with us today, and we will see you Uh, When you join us next time, take care and have a happy Thanksgiving.